Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of Weber's Whipping Post, coming from my office in Bourbon, Illinois. I'm Weber, and I'm both honored and delighted you took the time out of your schedule to tune in. Today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at Core Street Ford, now in their 40th year servicing Kankakee County. Stop by their showroom at 558 William Latham Drive in Bourbonnet and check out that amazing GT in the showroom. Core Street Ford is open from Monday through Saturday, offering new car and truck sales, pre-owned autos, and vehicle servicing. You can call them at 815-348-7024 or check out their website at www.courtstreetford.com. Order the Ford of your dreams today. So evidently, the brass at Target doesn't watch the news or are just blatantly bullheaded, with Bud Light hemorrhaging sales and market share due to their woke advertisement putting a transgender on their beer cans, Target belly flopped right in the pool behind Bud, making a cannonball splash of their own. In anticipation of LGBT Pride Month, Target rolled out its Pride-themed merchandise, much of it aimed at children. Target CEO Brian Cornell said, Woke capitalism is great for their brand. This hold my beer moment was just days before the boycotts at Target began. The backlash has been phenomenal, costing Target over $13 billion in market evaluation. Stockholders are probably now madly computing Cornell's golden parachute to make him go away. Surprisingly, Walmart is a line of apparel for Pride Month, but there hasn't been any backlash towards them. Their stock price remains unaffected by the Target controversy. Folks, I did a lot of bloviating in the Bud Light fiasco, but as I dove into this Target matter, it's more serious than the Bud Light issue. In my opinion, much more. It has been exposed that Target hooked up with the GLSEN, called GLSEN. Target has donated $2.1 million to this organization and allowed GLSEN signage in their stores for the Pride displays. According to Fox News, GLSEN is a K-12 education group focusing on getting school districts to adopt policies that will keep parents in the dark about their child's in-school gender transition, providing sexually explicit books to schools for free and integrating gender ideology at levels of curricula to public schools. What the hell does any of this have to do with getting an education? Glisson claims it is an American education organization working to end discrimination, harassment, and bullying based on sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, and to prompt LGBT cultural inclusion and awareness in K-12 schools. Promote LGBT in schools. Are you kidding me? Glisson was founded in Boston, Massachusetts in 1990. It then slithered into new headquarters in New York City and established a public policy office in Washington, D.C. One must wonder if the Washington office is there just to shove money into the swamp. You know, take Target's $2.1 million, skim 10% off the top to shove in their favorite politician's pocket, and then bank the rest. They claim to have 39 chapters in 26 states that influence children with their propaganda. They also claim to have developed resources, lesson plans, classroom material, and professional development programs for teachers to support LGBTQ students. Isn't that also called grooming? I've asked family members to join the boycott. Hopefully, they will take their business elsewhere. Now I need to get ready for the onslaught from Target calling to ask if my wife is okay. Six Flags may be the next corporation to belly flop in the pool of wokeness backlash and possibly boycotts when word gets out, and I'm right here to pass that word along. 
in their infinite wisdom, the amusement park franchise has announced kid-friendly drag show performances in honor of Pride Month. Why the hell do they need to have a drag shows for kids anyway? What is to be gained? This next story I find fascinating. Recent DNA evidence shows that Leslie Arnold, who was 16 years old when he shot his parents to death, escaped from prison and lived much of the rest of his life in Australia. In September of 1958, Arnold asked his reported mentally unstable mother if he could take his girlfriend in the New Mercury to the drive-in theater that night. She said no because, in her opinion, the girl was white trash. They argued. Leslie responded by shooting his mother six times. His father came in a little later, and Leslie shot him too. After that, he dropped his little brother off at a neighbor's and took his girlfriend to the movies to watch The Undead. He buried his parents' bodies in their backyard in Omaha, Nebraska the following night, then attended school for a week before finally confessing to his grandparents. Arnold was sentenced to life in prison but escaped eight years later. He then changed his name to John Damon and married a divorcee with four children in Chicago. They would move to Cincinnati, Ohio, and later to Miami, Florida to avoid the law. Eventually, he divorced his wife and married a woman in Los Angeles. They had two children before moving to New Zealand in 1992 and then to Australia in 1997. Arnold's son said his father claimed to be an orphan from Chicago and was a great father who was moderately successful. He died of blood clotting in 2010. For reasons that were not explained, his son submitted Arnold's DNA to a public database. It was then they learned the truth. After Arnold's death, his son found his Bible. There were lots of highlighted lines about sin, guilt, and forgiveness, he said. I think it weighed on his mind for the rest of his life. Hey, the noose is tightening on the Biden crime syndicate and his buddy from the FBI director, Chris Wray. The whistleblower stating Biden was involved in a criminal bribery scheme with foreign nationals is evidently highly credible, according to his employer, the FBI. He has been used by the FBI in many investigative matters going all the way back to the Obama administration. On a side note, I contend Obama had to know this was going on. Seems all this information has been written up on an official FBI form, FD-1023, detailing precise descriptions of how the schemes were carried out. Yet, Ray has been sitting on this information for quite some time. The House of Representatives subpoenaed the documents last month, but Ray claimed he's trying to protect sources and methods. Isn't that called aiding and abetting? Ray works for us folks, not the other way around. News reports say that he might appear Monday. Representative Comer and Senator Grassley were allowed to view the document, but they sure as hell haven't shared that information with us. You know, they too work for us. Of course, the White House says this is all political, and Biden knew nothing of what Sun Hunter was involved with. He probably has forgotten, but that doesn't mean he didn't do it. I'm astonished they haven't blamed Trump yet. I had every intention of saying something today about the Las Vegas Golden Knights hockey team playing in the Stanley Cup Finals starting Saturday night, and then I got some extra assistance. Seems the Larry Flint Hustlers Club in Las Vegas is offering each member of the team platinum VIP service for life if they win the Cup. Should they be victorious, each member gets free lap dances for life. The Gentlemen's Club is only about a mile from where the Knights play their games. They could walk there after the game. Nothing was said about the equipment manager getting in on the action. I was pulling for the Knights before, but now I'm really pulling for them. 
Did you see where Rod DeSantis, Chris Christie, and probably Mike Pence have all jumped into the fray to be called names by Donald Trump as they run for president? I don't understand why anyone would run against Trump or DeSantis unless there was a pot of gold in it for them. As acerbic and vitriolic as Trump is about anyone not named Donald Trump, is it really worth having your name publicly flogged if you don't have a legitimate shot? No word yet if Liz Cheney is really going to embarrass herself by running. It would really be a hoot if she were to run with Adam Kinzinger. Trump would have a field day calling them names. A hot dog fries and a Coke at a New Mexico Sonic drive-in restaurant had an entirely different meaning than what was expected. Employee Jeffrey Salazar apparently lost his bag of cocaine in a customer's hot dog. He was arrested and faces felony charges for possession of a controlled substance. As Salazar was working at a fast food restaurant, I'm guessing he isn't a drug dealer awash in cash. I have to wonder if he was a drug mule assigned to deliver the coke to someone else. If so, he better ask for the maximum sentence in prison, as it will be nicer than his drug lords will be. This episode came to you from the George Ryan Jr. Insurance Company. You can depend on the Ryan Insurance Company for nearly all your insurance needs and in many different states. Call the fine folks at 815-936-0075 for a quote today. That's 815-936-0075. Or you can look them up at their website at www.grinsure.com. An update on my latest novel, Roll Me Away, is that it's still in line editing. So I'm just waiting for them to get back to me. Same for the illustrator on the book cover. Still planning on having the book out by August. Getting excited to see it in print. My commentary this week is called, Where's My Buffalo? I got a lot of great feedback on this particular commentary. I hope you like it. The other day I was listening to an album by a band you probably never heard of. Mason Prophet from Indianapolis, Indiana. The band was started by two brothers, Terry and John Talbot, but disbanded in only four years when the brothers left the band to pursue Christian music. Mason Prophet put out a nice album in 1973 called Come and Gone. In the 70s, neither me nor my friends listened much to the words. It was all about the sound, blazing guitars and booming drums. Mason Prophet would have been considered more of a country rock genre not rock and roll. It would stand to reason if I hadn't been paying much attention to the words, I was paying even less attention to the meaning of the words. As I now consider myself a writer, and words mean something to me, I missed half of the artistry of much of the music I loved. What got me thinking about this was a song on the Come and Gone album called Buffalo. The song itself is just okay, certainly not of the caliber of Two Hangmen or Everybody Was Wrong, But this time, for the first time in 50 years, I listened to what they said, and I was astonished. The singer-writer envisions finding a buffalo head nickel on the ground. While observing it, the buffalo gets up from the nickel and walks away. Perhaps the writer had some hallucinogenic assistance. With the buffalo gone, the Indian on the other side stands up and exclaims, That's better now. With that, he decides to go for a walk. Soon, the Indian is lamenting he can't find his people. They're now all forgotten. Then he can't find his tomahawk, or his tent, their crops, or even their land. His brother and squaw are missing too. The reservation is wrong, he cries. By the conclusion of the song, the Indian is looking for the buffalo. Where's my buffalo? 
What an incredible piece of writing of the plight of the American Indian. And I missed that tale for over 50 years. I'm digging further into the stories told in that album now. Another singer-songwriter with messages is the late Gordon Lightfoot. I was 13 when he recorded his first hit, If You Could Read My Mind. I darn near wore that 45 RPM record out listening to that song. Again, I just loved the sound and perhaps the voice, but really never paid attention to the message of the song. Unbeknownst to most at that time, Mr. Lightfoot was going through a divorce. Having listened to that song regularly for 53 years, I didn't know the meaning until about a week ago. Lightfoot questions his failures about the breakup. The next time you hear him croon, and if you read between the lines, you'll know that I'm just trying to understand the feelings that you lack. Will you think of that song the same way? Another Lightfoot song, Carefree Highway, is an actual road next to where I live in Arizona. I've been up and down that road hundreds of times. I knew Lightfoot wrote the song about the particular highway, but what I didn't know was that the highway would set his mind to travel back to the age of 22 and a past love. For the sake of my marriage, I'll just take the fifth here. There are probably millions of songs with great lines and stories that were more than just a tune that we overlooked. I'm sure you have a few of your own. Here are a few more that seem so incredibly astonishing how deep their meaning can go. In Cat Stevens' Father and Son, he cries out, How can I try to explain? When I do, he turns away again. It's always been the same old story. From the moment I could talk, I was ordered to listen. Now there's a way, and I know that I have to go away. I know I have to go. What son hasn't had those tough thoughts? Jim Croce, not long before he died in a plane crash, crooned in his song, Time in a Bottle. If I had a box just for wishes and dreams that had never come true, the box would be empty except for the memory of how they were answered by you. How many times do you suppose his widow listens to that song? Steve Perry of the band Journey sang in the song, Faithfully, Highway run into the midnight sun, wheels go round and round, you're on my mind, restless heart sleep alone tonight, sending all my love along the wire. Given I spent about 30 years on the road selling freight services and working out of distant offices, missing my wife, this song really hits home for me. And finally, many times I've been alone and many times I've cried. Anyway, you'll never know the many ways I've tried. And still, they lead me back to the long, winding road. You may recall this verse in a song from 1970, The Long and Winding Road, written by Paul McCartney on his farm. It signaled the anguish that would eventually lead to the breakup of the Beatles. Fifty-three years later, perhaps the sentiment expressed in that simple verse might speak too much of life's journey. That's all I got for you today, folks. Thanks a million for listening in. Tim Milner, owner of WVLI, The Valley Radio, listened in and won a Weber's Whipping Post hat in the process for his kind words and encouragement. You can too, but I got to hear from you. So long, folks. 